Hello, my name is Brianna Patterson, and welcome to the eBiomedicine podcast. It is now 2022, and once again, COVID-19 is at the forefront of everyone's mind, with new cases rapidly growing across the globe. While a lot is known about identifying and treating the disease at onset, it is becoming apparent that more research needs to be done into the longer-term effects of the condition, namely long COVID. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Rachel Deer, Assistant Professor at the Department of Nutrition, Metabolism and Rehabilitation Science, University of Texas Medical Division, and lead author of Characterizing Long COVID, Deep Phenotype of a Complex Condition, which published in eBiomedicine's December issue. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for joining our podcast. Firstly, can you tell me a little bit about long COVID and the difficulties that patients experience in getting a diagnosis? Sure. So many survivors of COVID-19 report symptoms that persist after the period of acute illness. And as more information about patient recovery has been collected, it's become clear that a wide range of outcomes can emerge following the acute phase of the illness, with some patients that experience residual symptoms or develop new symptoms long after the initial infection. And this post-acute infection has been referred to by many names. So try to try to not confuse us today, I'm going to use long COVID, but it's also been coined post-acute sequelae of COVID or PASC, which the NIH likes to use, or post-acute COVID-19 syndrome, which is PACS. And long COVID represents a significant challenge for patients, physicians, and our society because the causes, the patient profiles, and even symptom patterns remain really difficult to characterize. So patients have found it difficult to get a diagnosis because there's currently no accepted definition of long COVID. However, often it can be broadly defined as delayed recovery from infection with SARS-CoV-2. The WHO just recently defined long COVID to occur at least three months from the onset of acute COVID-19 with symptoms that last for at least two months in duration and cannot be explained by alternative diagnoses. And common symptoms that the WHO mentions include fatigue, shortness of breath, and cognitive dysfunction, and that they generally have an impact on your everyday functioning. They note that symptoms can be a new onset following initial recovery, or they could persist from your initial illness and they often fluctuate or relapse over time. One of the other issues that um, and difficulties with getting a diagnosis for patients comes from the fact that long COVID can occur following either severe, mild, or even asymptomatic acute COVID-19 infection. And lingering symptoms include a constellation of neurological, respiratory, cardiovascular, and gastrointestinal symptoms. And it's absolutely debilitating in some of our affected individuals. One of the big challenges in characterizing long COVID is the fact that the patient-reported symptoms, so things that patients complain about, are often not captured by clinical evaluation or in surveys in our research studies. And research has also been complicated due to heterogeneous study methods, so different terms are used, different tests are taken, and different timeframes are included. In this study, your team used deep phenotyping. What exactly is this technique and how was it applied? 
So deep phenotyping is the precise and comprehensive analysis of individual phenotypic abnormalities with a focus on computational accessibility, in which individual components of the phenotype are observed and described, often for the purpose of scientific examination of human diseases. And in the field of rare diseases, the Human Phenotype Ontology, or HPO, which is what we used in this paper, has become an international standard for deep phenotyping that enables integrated computational analysis of both genotype and phenotype for diagnostics, novel gene discovery, and also translational research. HPO includes a standard vocabulary of over 16,000 terms with close to 40,000 synonyms that define phenotypic abnormalities that are associated with over 7,000 different diseases. So stated more broadly, ontologies such as HPO are systematic representations of knowledge that define terminology in a human-readable format and define relationships between concepts in a way that allows computational logical reasoning that can support the integration and analysis of massively large amounts of data. So existing publications on the clinical aspects of long COVID haven't used a standardized vocabulary to report these phenotypic abnormalities, which is really impeding the search, analysis, and integration of all of the different studies that have happened in long COVID. The significant disparity in patient-reported versus clinical characterization motivated our proposed ontological approach for this project, which we we anticipate will improve capture and integration of future long COVID studies. The wide range of symptoms and abnormalities reported in patients with long COVID makes deep phenotyping a fantastic methodology to begin categorizing and exploring long COVID in more detail. What were the direct results of this study? So we don't have results in the way that a hypothesis-driven research paper has results, but our main three conclusions and resources were the following. Our first finding was that the medical literature uses an extremely heterogeneous vocabulary to describe the signs and symptoms of long COVID. So for example, dyspnea is a clinical term that's been mapped to the HPO. And prior to COVID, many patients probably had never heard of dyspnea. Thus, many synonyms or similar words have been used to describe this term, some of which don't mean the exact same thing. In the manuscripts we reviewed, we found many different ways that people were reporting and describing dyspnea. Some examples that we found in the literature were things like shortness of breath, breathlessness, MCR breathlessness uh, scores above a pre-admission baseline, dysopnea, dyspnea with exertion, and even different severity ratings for dyspnea. We were able to map these descriptive terms to a harmonized set of well-defined HPO terms, and then this can be linked to other clinical terms that are found in the electronic health medical records, things like clinical notes, laboratory values that could be things like oxygen saturation at rest or with exertion, relevant radiological findings, things that are like imaging, like chest CTs, and also abnormal abnormal pulmonary test results. And all of that can then be rolled up within the HPO to relevant hierarchy of HPO terms to make it easier to compare prevalence of symptoms across different studies. So that was our first finding. Our second main conclusion is actually a resource that we further developed. We were able to define layperson translations for all 287 different term labels that were identified and used to describe long COVID manifestations. 
and we were able to provide definitions for patient use. This should aid in the um, ease of use by patients and make sure that the words that patients and physicians use, the different terminologies, are actually describing the same thing rather than shades of the same thing. So a really common example in long COVID literature is that people have a loss of smell. And it's really commonly reported by patients both during acute infection and also long COVID. However, this term, loss of smell, is often used to describe both true loss of smell, which in the clinical terminology is um, anosmia, and also mistakenly used for a distorted change in smell, which is parosmia, which are actually two different things. And if we mistakenly combine them together, it makes it harder for us to actually understand both prevalence and begin looking at the mechanisms underlying what's driving long COVID. Our third uh, finding and conclusion was that we found a high degree of variability in the subject subset of terms that were reported, which limits our comparability across studies. So for example, of those 287 terms that we found, we've only found 31 terms that were common in at least 10 cohort studies. The most common term was fatigue, and the least common term that was commonly used was nausea. Um, But we found wide percentages and variability between the studies possibly based on who was included, the time frame for reporting, and maybe the severity of infection. Pulmonary tests were really commonly reported, which isn't to be unexpected because COVID is a pulmonary presenting problem. But just because a term is commonly asked doesn't mean that it's not commonly reported by patients suffering from long COVID. Patient-led initiatives have become extremely popular online in forums like Reddit or Facebook, and actually examining the common complaints from people in those groups is really enlightening because many of the symptoms that are reported in these groups are not asked or measured by physicians and thus aren't reported in the literature. And even for the most commonly reported terms, like fatigue, we found a high degree of variability in frequencies across studies, suggesting that long COVID is really heterogeneous and that we need to learn more about the natural history to optimally manage affected patients. This is a brilliant step in the right direction towards standardization of symptom language for describing long COVID. But what do you think needs to be done next for this standardization to be useful to patients and clinicians? So I think our next steps are to improve uptake and use of HPO terminology outside of the rare disease world. Um, We want to increase the use of the HPO and tools by both clinicians and patient stakeholder groups. More publicity about the availability of HPO for long COVID will help with the integration of it into future research and will be driven by patient-led initiatives and also uptake by physicians and researchers. Another area for next step that is necessary is a change in the reporting of data to allow for better combination and comparison across studies. Something that we think that's really important is that published studies, rather than reporting aggregate data, need to report Um, individual patient-level data about the clinical course. It would be much more useful to have the data on a per-patient level with appropriate consents, obviously. Using a format such as the Global Alliance for Genomics and Health Phenopackets would allow this data to be stored in a standardized way that respects privacy concerns and allows algorithms to investigate disease trajectories. 
future studies should make data available either using HPO terms provided here or other terms from the full collection of over 16,000 HPO terms. How we think that this would really help driving research forward is that right now we're only able to present the prevalence of, for example, shortness of breath independently from the prevalence of fatigue. And by reporting phenotype phenopacket type data, we will be able to look at how many people have combinations of symptoms and we'll be able to begin looking into the mechanisms driving those combinations and the mechanisms that are driving long COVID, also perhaps being able to identify interventions for patients to help accelerate recovery. Is this approach just limited to long COVID or are there other diseases that may benefit? So in general, many clinical studies capture a relatively limited part of the clinical phenotype. Uh, EHR or electronic health record formats are good at capturing lab data, procedures, and diagnoses, but often don't uh, capture detailed clinical phenotypes. Ontologies such as HPO could be really useful to harmonize descriptions and enable better data interoperability across studies. HPO is currently being used in a wide range of projects, including the UK's National Institute for Health Research Rare Disease Initiatives, the 100,000 Genomes Project, the NIH Kidney Precision Medicine Project, NIH's Undiagnosed Disease Projects and Network, RD Connect, and Solve RD, among many others. So it is currently being used, but the majority of the areas where it's currently being used are in rare disease, and we think that it really could be expanded to be used in more areas of clinical work. And finally, on a more immediate level, what is next for your team? So we just recently published a preprint that is undergoing revisions for full publication. It's titled, Who Has Long COVID? A Big Data Approach. This manuscript builds on what the manuscript we're talking about today um, began to set up. It uses machine learning platforms to identify patients with long COVID within the EHR that could be used in future studies. Patients that are flagged by our models can be interpreted as patients that are likely to be referred to or seek care at long COVID specialty clinics, which is an essential proxy for long COVID diagnosis in the absence of a definition. We also achieve the urgent goal of identifying potential long COVID patients that could be recruited into clinical trials. And as more data sources are identified, these models can be retrained and tuned to meet different study needs. This manuscript and the manuscript under development is really just a small sliver of what the larger N3C team is working on. So to address gaps in our understanding of acute and long COVID, the National COVID Cohort Collaborative, or N3C, was formed to accelerate our understanding of SARS-CoV-2 and to demonstrate novel approach for collaborative data sharing and analytics during the pandemic. And the National covid um, Collaborative is comprised of members across a whole host of institutes, uh, people like the NIH Clinical and Translational Science Awards, the CTSA, the Centers for Data and Health, CD2H, the IDEA Centers for Translational Research, the National Patient-Centered Clinical Research Network, uh, PCORnet, Observational Health Data Sciences and Informatics, Trinetics, and the Accrual for Clinical Trials, the ACT Network. And N3C has just recently joined the large NIH Recover Initiative. And this NIH Recover Initiative is a research initiative from the National Institutes of Health, 
which seeks to specifically understand, prevent, and treat long COVID um, in the future. That was Dr. Rachel Deer, Assistant Professor at the Department of Nutrition, Metabolism, and Rehabilitation Science, University of Texas Medical Division.